We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers got smoked by a hot-shooting Portland Trailblazers team. The, uh, Malik Beasley got hot in the fourth quarter to kind of trim this margin down. But at one point, Portland, in the late third quarter, Portland had 23s, and we had three threes, which is a minus 51-point differential from behind the line. That was definitely the story of last night's game. Our offense and our inability to shoot prior to garbage time, at least, I think is part of that as well. What do you see in a tough game last night versus Portland? Uh, do you remember a game? It was Frank's last year mm-hmm. as head coach and the Lakers were playing in Indiana. And at least I think it was in Indiana, but they were playing the Pacers. And Karis LeVert was in foul trouble the first half. And the Lakers played a back and forth game with Indy. And then in the second half, Karis LeVert got hot. And in the Mm. fourth quarter, he hit pull-up jumper after pull-up jumper against the Lakers playing in drop coverage. A lot of times with Carmelo Mm -hmm. Anthony in, in drop coverage, but even with LeBron at center playing in drop coverage. And after the game, LeBron James And he didn't say this derisively. He didn't say it with any malice, I don't think. But he said the other team took advantage of our game plan. Mm -hmm. And they won. Like, tip of the cap to them. They knew what we were trying to do defensively. And they found where the cracks were within the defense. And then they won. The Lakers play a pretty extreme drop coverage. AD is often well below the level of the ball in pick and roll actions. And the Lakers have also been very committed of late, way more so lately, of helping off of non-shooters, regardless of where the non-shooters are Mm -hmm. on the court. They could be one pass away. They could be strong side corner. Wherever the non-shooter is, the Lakers are helping off of that guy. And then when that guy gets the ball, it's they're not closing out to him, right? It's like we're going to take one step beyond the lane line and jump and kind of give you this, you know, courtesy contest. But guys are wide open. Yeah, they're not closing out short. They are 
they are like whatever less than short is, that's what type of closeout they, they are executing. And the Laker and the Blazers, to their credit, took advantage of that. I want to say in the first seven to eight minutes for sure with the plane below the level of the ball. Right. And then as they started to hit pull up three after pull up three, the Lakers started moving their big men up in order to play higher at the level of the ball. Right. And so Dame did what Dame can do. He doesn't do this every night, but he can do this. Oh, yeah. He has scored 60 points this season. He has scored 50, I think, on more than one occasion. And he has been in the 40s mm-hmm. a couple of a few different times as well. Damian Lillard getting hot from three is a thing that sometimes that's just going to go. Yep. And you just got to live with that. It's especially when they're from like 30, 35 feet, as he can do. There is not a defensive coverage really that takes that away. Defenses are not built to take that away. And so like. I'm sort of holding Dame out of this after the first two or three that he hit, even though on a couple of those, even on one of those early threes that he hit, that was a pull-up three where AD was below the level of the ball. Like Mm -hmm. uh, on two of them, I think Dennis and Austin got great back contests against him and it like didn't matter at all. He just leaned into Mm -hmm. it a little bit more and buried a three. But Portland took advantage of what the Lakers were doing defensively early on it was playing well below the level of the ball and then with the idea of we're not going to guard Matisse Tybel we're not going to guard Watford we're going to go under screens on on shade on sharp right like this was all game plan mm-hmm. Anthony Davis even said it after the game he said the dudes who we wanted to shoot They made those shots, credit to them. And so Mm -hmm. like this was one of those games where like it was irritating to see all of these Mm -hmm. threes fall. And I was frustrated at the result, but I was I I understood what the approach and the rationale was. And there was a certain amount of game plan discipline that the Lakers exhibited that totally backfired against them. And if you want to blame the head coach for that, I guess you can blame the head coach for maybe not adjusting sooner or for playing below the level of the ball, like at all against Dame, especially. I think you can do it against Simons. Like you Mm -hmm. can play at or a little bit below the ball because he doesn't have the same craft To go by you, Dame is just Dame and you just got to do something different. But this was just a tip by cap game to Portland. Do you feel differently? Because in the moment I was like, like these MFers, they just torched the Lakers right now. I can quibble on a couple of points. Like, I don't love leaving an NBA player, whether it's Thibel or Watford or whatever, wide open to the point where they don't feel any pressure at all. Like, even a guy guy like like Matisse, he's shot over 30% every year as a three-point shooter. And I know he's a guy that, you know, teams will rotate off of. This is not an unusual idea. I would just say that the extremity with which we did it was like super comfortable type of threes. I don't agree with that, but the overall points that you're making of uh, like the Indiana game, that was a home game for us against Indiana. I remember that game vividly. Totally agree, right? Like that's something that, you know, you tip your cap and that's while I was watching that and frustrated by the results, but not so much the 
ideas. I was in a similar spot as you. What I was mad about was games against the game against Indiana this year at home when yeah. we lost and blew it. it because Damian Lillard or a team that can shoot getting hot is something that's going to happen to you half a dozen times a year, if not more, where it's just like they're making shots. And this is if you're a good team, a bad team, or somewhere in between. And so that's why you don't screw around with the games that you that you can win. Um, I would like to talk kind of more globally about this new team that we have and a little less so about the Portland game, if that's okay. For sure. I actually liked how we started that game. We were up 14 to five to begin that game. And then it all slipped away. Portland went on a 29 to five run to end the quarter of which the three point shooting was a big part. They hit 10, 10 threes in the first quarter. Just unbelievable. It's it's a little bittersweet for me. You know, we always take that that uh, analogy of like baking a cake and we are now a completely different team. And so in a way, we like took out the old cake and we were like, "Ah, this isn't going to win first prize at the Great British Bake Off or whatever, right? We're going to put it in new cake, but we only got so much time to bake this cake. And yeah, like, just oh, like I used salted butter. Right. Like, like, oh, no, no, this cake isn't what, I, no. this cake isn't going to turn out right. I need to bake a whole new cake. Right. But you've got 20 minutes. Good luck. And so yeah. that that's kind of where we are. And like, I'm, I'm glad that we did it in a, in a global sense, but just like we started the season two and 10, part of that was, you have these ideas of, okay, these guys will play with these guys. And this is what my starting unit looks like. This is what my bench unit looks like. And almost always, no matter how much effort or, or work you put into it, you got to see it on the floor to be like, okay, this works, but this doesn't work. We got to make some changes. And the previous version of this team, at the very least, had figured out how to play together. Over the last stretch, they had stopped playing nearly as hard as they had been playing, but they did understand how to play together in a way that just a new group of guys, like there's so much roster turnover midseason. This is super unusual to have, what do we have, five new guys? And so there's just going to be a certain level of uh, of adjustment, but also like the type of guys that we have, the fact that D'Lo is stylistically so opposite from Russ, I think changes a lot or needs to change a lot of kind of how we attack on offense. And so I liked our starting group, but Darvin's been really tying at least so far with with this group. But this was the case uh, when Russ was on the team too, having a very distinct, these are my starters and this is my bench group. Like in the first game, D'Lo and AD played 35 minutes together. I don't think D'Lo played a single minute without AD on the floor. That may have been the case in the last game as well. And so that bench unit in particular, you look at the box score and there's some ugly plus minuses among that group. So I'm curious your thoughts on the bench and like what is not working with that group in terms of the early returns. I think that's a great observation you made about how much D'Lo is playing with with AD. And you're talking about baking the cake. One of the things that it feels like Darwin might be doing is he is baking the cake, but he put it in the convection oven. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like the air circulates more. It's just like we're going to try to stimulate this cooking a little bit faster. So instead of a 50 minute mm-hmm. process, we're trying to get this down to 32 minutes. Right. And so that means that we're going to double down on all of these rotation decisions. And, and we're really going to play a lot of these core guys together because they need the chemistry. I'd be interested to have that question asked of him because I think it is the second straight game where where he's really um, played D'Lo and AD together a lot and mm-hmm. also gone to bench units that are almost entirely 
five bench players. That's what I mean. It's very distinct. It, like most of the time when you have, for example, the championship year, we didn't have any minutes where LeBron and AD were off the floor, right? And even this year when we've had LeBron and AD, this precedes the the trade, right? There have been a lot of times where both guys have been off the court. So Darwin has this very distinctive approach toward starters and bench, but the bench units when both guys have been off have been rough. How do you feel about that general idea? I have opinions about it. On this team, I don't like it as much because we're so top heavy by design that I think that you can do it when you're kind of distributed a a little bit more evenly in terms of your creators and scorers. But I think that when we don't have one of those guys on the floor, the slotting, as you say, guys get kind of put into places where they have to do a little more than they're capable of. So I would prefer an approach where one of those guys, and obviously LeBron didn't play last night, but that in that instance that like you've got either a D'Lo or an AD on the floor, just because you have like a weapon that can get you yep. at a least fulcrum. 15 plus, right? Yeah, a fulcrum, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My The thing that I notice within the bench units is that there is not a nominal point guard on that bench mm. group at all, mm-hmm. right? And so Darvin is starting both Dennis and D'Angelo Russell, and that's leading Ben. And Dennis has been the first sub out in these first two games with this new team. And Austin has come in for him. So then Austin gets some minutes with D'Lo and AD, but ultimately AD eventually goes out. D'Lo eventually goes out. And Dennis remains out. And then you see this group that has Lonnie Walker in it and has Jared Vanderbilt in it mm-hmm. and has Malik Beasley in it. And then Wenyon. And this was the first half group. In the second mm-hmm. half, the rotation got changed up. But in the first three halves of the new team, that rotation has been in place. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is that that group is not as organized offensively. Yeah. And they are suffering because of it. So even in the Warriors game, Vanderbilt and Austin, I think were both in negative plus minus, mm-hmm. right? Because those bench groups kind of struggled to stay afloat without, they were rudderless yeah. in their own way. They were out there playing basketball. And we talked about that the last thread that they found a certain chemistry just in like, oh, well, I do this and you do that. And here's a couple of shooters and we can run some ball screens and Vanderbilt's a grab and go guy. And Wenyon does what what he does. And Austin's a connecting player. It all sort of makes sense in the, the aggregate. But those groups look better when you took out one of those guards and you replaced them with with Dennis Schroeder for example, Mm -hmm. just because Dennis is a point guard. He's played it his entire NBA career, and he has a certain amount of that, like, I'm going to commandeer possessions here and try to get us into stuff that is going to work, even if it's just me isolating and me running a pick and roll. And so I'm interested in seeing how long this version of the rotation lasts with or without LeBron in the mix. Now, there's hope that LeBron is going to play in Wednesday's game against New Orleans. That's the last game before the All-Star break. If LeBron does play that game, I would then expect that he plays in the All-Star game as well. The foot stuff, we don't have a lot of updates on that at this point, but he's missed the last two games. and. I thought that bench unit missed him specifically, but 
I have no point of reference to say whether or not that that's true. I also have no point of reference to say that all three of those guys wouldn't be sitting at the same time or that mm. it wouldn't be LeBron and AD who are sitting and D'Lo is the guard in there mm-hmm. with that group, right? And so there's a lot of questions, I think, that need to be answered still. And so let's go to break here. And when we come back on the other side, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this this rotation stuff and more globally around starters versus bench and, and just ideas around what groups could work. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Pete, beyond LeBron missing, Mo Bamba is also not played at all. And he's one of the new guys as well. And he's going to be another variable that doesn't have to be put into the mix, but you would think he's going to get a look. And so what are your thoughts in general, like either carrying back over from what we were talking about before the break in terms of guards and the rotation and bench for starters, but just also like LeBron, Bamba, it's still like a work in process. There's ingredients that seem to be still need to be added to the cake, but the cake is in the oven already. So Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we got to pull it out and and add some stuff to it. So where are you at? Yeah, it it can go in several different directions. But one of one of the values of Bamba, especially on offense, is just his three point shooting. Like I really like both Jared Vanderbilt and Wenyan Gabriel individually. Vanderbilt is certainly a better player, but from watching them play together over these two games, and mind you, it's just two games against teams that are somewhat similar. They go about it differently, but they're very much built on their guard scoring and their guards being able to shoot the crap out of the ball with Golden State and Portland. And so that might be different against a team like the Pelicans, or we've got Dallas coming up, for example, after uh, after the break. Different teams kind of pose different, different uh, problems. But having those two guys together, I think is a little bit duplicative. And a guy like Bamba is a good three point shooter. He's a guy that's going to give you, you know, uh, you know, high level spot up shooting from a position while being able to, like, he's a hard guy to finish over the top of (laughs) for obvious reasons defensively. And so I think that there's probably better synergy between a Vanderbilt and Bamba combo because they're not kind of doing the same thing. And, Neither, like both Vanderbilt and Wenyan are capable of knocking down a three, but they're not providing spacing. They have, you know, they have a negative gravity if they're behind the three point line. And so I think that that's going to help to a degree. But LeBron, 
I think the, the force that LeBron pr- provides is way more important now that Russ is off of the team. That's one of the things that I think is a dissonance right now that is going to be super important to correct, but you probably don't have time to do that until the All-Star break, is I've I've been... I've been struck by the fact that our offense has not changed that much from the respect of teams are packing the paint on us. Portland really vexed us with the zone as they often do. Um, They're packing the paint on us and we're still being like, Oh, well we're a paint attack team. We're just going to assault the paint. You want to take it away. We want to get it. We're going to get it because that's what we do. I agree with that. If you have Russell Westbrook on the team, if you have shooters and guys who are less, who are not as physically strong, or play with as much force, I actually think you have to use that against a defense and kind of create more looks for your shooters and more like cleaner opportunities where you're sitting pin screens and things like that. Oh, you're going to pack the paint. Let's keep you in there and get a wide open look for Malik Beasley, you know? And so that is something that all plays together um, in that LeBron is going to, LeBron, I think is going to be able to provide a degree of force that is comp that is complementary to those skill guys that in his absence, I thought Portland's ball pressure, same with Golden State's, kind of got up into our guards in ways that we were not able to counter to a similar degree while their forwards uh, contract into the paint. And so, yeah, I think LeBron's return especially kind of puts everybody into a more natural role. I certainly agree with that as an idea. I'm interested in seeing how that plays out in practice. One one of the things that you just said earlier this pod, but remains true, is that you have ideas about what things are going to look like based off of player skill sets, but the application of those skill sets on the court tells you how things are actually going to work. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is that the Lakers shooting – their increase in shooting with players like Russell and Beasley and now like Lonnie, right, is back and playing a little bit more. But Russell and Beasley specifically, and this is true, and it's been true of, of Austin this season too, is when teams trust that you're a shooter that can make shots, they close out on you and they actually try to run you off of the line. Mm-hmm. And when you talked about the like the hunting of the paint one of the reasons why Russell is going to the paint and Beasley is going to the paint is because defenses are like, well, you're a shooter. We don't want you out here now. One of the reasons why Russell Westbrook was going to the paint is because he's just like, well, you want me out here, but I don't mm-hmm. want to be out here. So I'm going in here. Mm-hmm. And AD's been vic- AD's a similar player and LeBron is to a certain extent too. It's just like, I'm not going to settle. This is what the defense wants. Like, I'm going to attack. And so defenses are dictating the terms a little bit too much. And the players themselves are sort of playing into these ideas. And so, like, look, D'Lo is running pick and rolls. No one's going under on pick and rolls against D'Angelo Russell. They're over the top and they're providing back pressure. And he's, I said, a graduate of Big Guard University. So he's putting these dudes in jail. He's absorbing that back pressure and he's weaving and he's snaking pick and rolls and he's trying to get into the paint because that's actually what is available mm-hmm. to him. Beasley is coming off of screens and he's like, he's seeing faces and hands and they're running at him. And he's just like, all right, well, I was taught attack the closeout. So I'm getting downhill in these situations. And so I think the part that you said that is super important is that there needs to be some tactical shifts within the context of, and I don't expect Darwin to have this stuff like a game in 
Like, right. and it's, they haven't I, I practiced. I wish we had more time, man. Yeah. They just haven't practiced either. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I get the media relations updates from the Lakers. I get the announcements. I see like, okay, well, the Lakers are not practicing today. Today on February 14th, the Lakers are not practicing. And most teams don't practice most a teams lot. Don't. After, yeah. It, it's it, it's this, usually you need at least two days off in between uh, yes. at the current, at the NBA schedule where a team's not going to have a practice unless it's like you play on Monday and then you don't play again until Thursday. Team will get Tuesday off and then they'll practice on Wednesday. So this is not unusual within the NBA. No. And so I'm not, again, I'm not for a shade or anything like that. Like I just wanted to be clear that the Lakers aren't practicing. And on some days they're not even doing shoot arounds because it's just like they're flying in and they're flying in the same day. It's just like, okay, well then before the game, like what's, and this has been happening a lot around the league. I think is teams are just like, you know what, what is actually more important isn't that we get you up at eight in the morning for a (laughs) 9am shoot around so that you can then, so we can install game plan stuff before a game that's going to happen at seven o'clock what's more important is you sleep and you Mm -hmm. get rest and your body is well tuned to the idea that you're going to have to go exert yourself Mm -hmm. super hard at seven o'clock at night only to take a plane flight or not like they're trying to get their body clocks correct and so sometimes the lakers aren't even doing shoot around so there is no walkthroughs of like Mm -hmm. what the new actions are going to be just a quick aside, uh, the great Bill Sharman, uh, Lakers head coach of the 1972 championship team, is the guy who came up with the idea of the shoot around. And to speak on the pushback on that, Wilt Chamberlain uh, told, once told him, like, you can either have Wilt at 11 o'clock in the morning or you can have Wilt at 7.30 p.m., right? <laughs> that whole idea of like, if I'm going to give it to you, what I have to give, I have one to give today. So you can either yes. have it early or late. And yes, teams have, have geared more toward that that rest. But I would argue then, especially on this Lakers team, that makes this upcoming All-Star break really crucial for whatever this team is going to be this last stretch of the season, that is the one chance that you do get to practice and then practice again the next day and then practice the day after that. Yeah, no, I'm laughing because maybe it was only basketball where Wilt only uh, had one chance a day, right? (laughs) Relax. That's probably (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Anyways, so I want to zoom back out again about rotation questions. And you talked a little bit about Bamba. You talked a little bit about LeBron. LeBron's return is super interesting to me. And from the standpoint of, and I mentioned this after the game against the Warriors, but they started Dennis, they started Rui. But again, I have some pretty strong opinions that if LeBron James is coming back and you have D'Angelo Russell and you have Anthony Davis, that starting Rui and starting Dennis, especially if there's going to be bench units that don't have a point guard or even if your only ball handler is, or if you're asking LeBron to do all of that, then I think there's potential there for things to not look as together as what you would want it to be. And so where are you at with like a starting lineup with LeBron James, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Davis? And what do you think, they need in terms of support and what players on the roster do you think can provide that type of support that you think that they need best? 
So yesterday, I thought you made a really good argument built around the idea of usage, that when you have those three guys, it's important the other two players are connectors and not players and players that can have a good good game without taking a lot of shots. And we have a few guys like that on the team. Troy Brown, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Austin can be like that as well. And so that, those being the types of players that when you know guys like LeBron, AD, and D'Lo are going to get a certain volume of shots that can still be effective and complement that. I'd like to flip the coin on that. That, though to the other side and view it through the lens of what are your defensive positions that need to be played and one of the things that stood out to me about last night's game was we missed Bev we missed Russ from a defensive standpoint Bev in particular the last time we played in Portland we got the win on a big comeback in part because Bev who certainly plays up his successes right it was a, a, a team effort but he did a good job of guarding Dame and kind of making Dame uncomfortable. And we don't have a lot defensively that does that. And the guy who does that best is Dennis, but Dennis is really small. And so we don't have guys who can do that. That said, the starting group concerns me less than the bench. And so some of my starting decisions or or some of how I think about the starting group is like, will we be okay with our group that that's on the floor with two minutes left in the first quarter, with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. How does the starting decision impact that? And having to get that right is, I think these lineups are less sensitive, but I think that viewing that through a defensive perspective is an interesting exercise. And so I didn't entirely answer your question. I'm kind of swinging the ball back to you, but from that defensive perspective and include the bench in this, where are you at? Because I we traded some of our defensive talent uh, on the perimeter. Yeah, well, I mean, they traded two of their better on-ball guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so Russ definitely had his issues off-ball, and mm-hmm. he would do some of the lazy, like, no, we're going to switch here. And the guy who is mm-hmm. then put in a position to switch is just like, oh, we're switching? We're switching? We didn't need to switch that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or Transition okay. defense. Yep. Right? And so there's there stuff like that. But Russ would definitely get up into guys – defensively and crowd their airspace and he did a pretty good job of that Shane Betty like I'm going to contest with mm-hmm. a hand like right in your face and guard up positions right and he's an elite athlete with size too right he can do certain things just physically that a lot of our other guys can't yeah strong sturdy and Bev is a very similar guy but like good hands gets away with a lot I think that this is something that it's just like there needs to be a separate defensive metric that like accounts for how much leeway do you get with the referees? And so (laughs) Pat Bev would, would argue that like, I'm sure on some of these fouls, like he's like, I'm not fouling this dude at all, but that's part of the persona that you put on in order to not get called for some of the fouls that you do commit. And so Draymond Green does this too. Draymond gets away with a lot. Oh yeah. And it's just like, but it's just like it's like holding in the NFL to a certain extent. Holding happens on every play and you can't call yeah. holding on every single play. And so they can't call every hand check. They can't call every knee into the back of a dude's side. They can't call every time you ride a guy with your hand right on his hip. They're not going to do it. They're not going to foul you out in seven minutes of action. They might if you're Max Christie. They're not. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, right? Like reputation is earned. You earn it over a long period of time of success and playing hard and all of this other stuff. And the Lakers don't have a lot of not only is there are there defensive issues to to play with. There's like um, reputation issues that they have to manage as well. Right. And so 
when I look at the starting group, like I think that those connecting players that you're talking about from an offensive usage standpoint is super important. But defensively, I also think that you're not you have to protect Russell D'Angelo, I think, at the guard spot. And you have to protect LeBron and AD a certain amount with like motor around them and defensive range. And so I've been lobbying for Austin to start. I think Austin is a very good like positional defender and he works hard. He chases over the top of screens really well. I think he actually chases over on screens better than Troy Brown. I think Troy Brown has his own defensive strengths and he did a pretty good job on Simons mm-hmm. yesterday. He's been so good, man. Troy's had a great month. And yeah, and and he's shooting the ball well too. And so I could see starting Troy or Austin And then on the bench, then whichever one of those guys doesn't start, then you have him as like a bench player. I would actually like to see Vanderbilt start Mm -hmm. just because I think his motor and his athleticism and his ability to sort of chase and just run around and get on the glass is super important for a a group that has LeBron, AD, and D'Angelo Russell in it. Mm -hmm. And then on the bench, I'm super interested in how that translates because you might lose a Vando or an Austin if they're now in the starting group. But then I think that you support that with like a Troy Brown, potentially a Mo Bamba. And then I'm also looking to stagger the stars, quote unquote, a little bit differently where you basically have LeBron or AD on the court for the entire game. And that then you at least have that baseline of this. And then if Dennis isn't starting, you get that sort of heated up ball pressure guard with the bench unit. And that's sort of me forecasting things out. I'm going to write on this this week. And so I'll explain it a lot more in, in like written form. But that's sort of where I'm at to answer your question about the defensive piece of this. I, I really like that because the place that I've been kind of zeroed in on is I think that the Lonnie and Beasley minutes are a bad idea and they're because they're kind of duplicative and they're when you have two non-defenders next to each other and that's not to say like Beasley's good at digging down and jumping out into a passing lane he's gotten a couple of steals and deflections on that both guys can do a couple of things but they're not going to be a plus overall on the defensive end and when you have two guys that are of, of a similar build as well next to each other then you can start running into problems defensively and so it's not an argument against either guy individually but I think together they are I think I think together they cause some problems where guys like Dennis and Troy, those are the guys to put next to either one of those guys because they can guard whoever is on the floor that the other guy won't be as equipped to. Yeah. And so ultimately, based off of what we've seen these first two games with the quote unquote new guys and not all of the new guys have played and LeBron has not played, I would swap out any minutes that Wenyan got and any minutes that Lonnie got. And that's right. what Darvin did in the second half before garbage and time. I, and I would play, I would play Bamba and I would play, and then here comes LeBron, right? Mm-hmm. And LeBron should reshuffle the starting group because he's a usage guy who then needs different, who has different needs next to him than mm-hmm. Dennis and Rui. And then I would build out lineups that are like, here's a LeBron bench unit. Here's an AD bench unit, and here's a potential bench unit focused on both LeBron and AD, where they are then playing together, but maybe with fewer of the starters and more bench guys together. We've done this at the right? beginning of second and fourth quarters a decent amount, where it's been those two guys with uh, with bench guys. 
But that's basically how I view the game. You've got a starting group. You've got a LeBron bench group. You've got an AD-based bench group. You've maybe got a group that includes both of them. And then you slot in around them with like, what are the usage and offensive needs around those guys? And what are the defensive needs around those guys? And who needs what kind of support? And like, as like a little nugget of that, I think you you put Vanderbilt and potentially Bamba around LeBron and like give him great front court support and rim protection mm-hmm. and rebounding. And with AD, maybe you put like um, skill around Skill him, guards reflect right? really and, well and, off of and, AD, yeah. And then have like another like usage forward or a spacing forward around him mm-hmm. to give him space. Now, maybe that's Rui or maybe that's like Bamba even, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like, okay, well now we've got these two tower look and AD gets to play some forward and yada, 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 right? Like there's lots of ideas that you can pull out of the ether in order to find a solution. But it's just like in the big picture, that's sort of what I'm looking at, right? Starting group, AD group, LeBron group, potentially a both group. And suddenly you're at like 42, 43 Mm -hmm. minutes worth of game action. And then Mm -hmm. you close with your five best guys. And we'll have to do a whole pod on like a closing lineup after we actually see these dudes play together. Yeah, a lot of questions with not a lot of time to answer them. This upcoming All-Star break is going to be super valuable in that, but got to get a win tomorrow um, leading in. We're uh, running out of runway. Or as you said yesterday after the pod, D, the, the plane is already in the air. There's there's no runway left. So, all right, we will be back uh, tomorrow. Um, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, Unbelievable. victory. It's over. And shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.